All right, welcome to Rendon. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. If you're new here, I am so glad you're here. We are um, in a series, and we're talking about end times. And anytime you do that, two things start happening immediately. People start emailing you. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a few minutes. People, uh, and Satan starts attacking. And here's the thing. You guys think he attacks me, and he does. He's attacking you too. Because the more you know about end times, the more prepared you are, the more you're committed to following Christ, the more Satan is going to attack and challenge your commitment. It's just that real and that true. And you may be here going, look, I don't even know if there is a Satan. That's okay. Uh, you'll learn. Because um, we are in a place where we've been looking at what's happening in our world. And the, the truth is, is that God has allowed Satan to begin grooming our world for the arrival of the Antichrist. And we're seeing it everywhere. And if people study scripture, it's impossible to miss. Literally impossible to miss. And we've been looking at that over the last few weeks. The stage is being set philosophically, politically, geographically, ideologically and spiritually it's everywhere we've seen the growing apostasy of humanism the, the desire for man to be their own god to seek themselves for answers to deny all things supernatural all things god and focus only on what we know and we can prove we've seen how globalism unites the world uh, into a false teaching, uh, the world coming together, the redefining of sexes, the redefining of cultures, races. We studied the regathering of the people, of the Jewish people to the Holy Land. We explored the reuniting of the Roman Empire and talked about the coming of Middle East peace, and we're going to talk about that today. We've come to a better understanding of the promises of the Bible, having credibility because of their accuracy, and we've learned about the covenant, covenantal nature of God. We understand God's unilateral, eternal, unconditional covenant made to Abraham, David, Noah, and to us. And we've dealt with a huge elephant in the room, God's wrath. How can a loving God turn his wrath against his own creation? And we looked at that last week. We learned that God's wrath is actually an expression of his love. You may think that's nuts. Well, listen to last week. And it is his holiness that gets underestimated. And because we don't understand his holiness, we underestimate his response to the offense of sin. We've learned that his wrath seems extreme to us because... We just don't see how holy he is and how our sin impacts him. We've learned it's through the Holy Spirit that we get a glimpse of his holiness, just like they did on top of the mountain. And in the presence of his holiness, we begin to understand his outrage towards all things that are unloving and unholy. It's his righteous, just, appropriate response to sin. It's just been delayed. And it's one of the most loving things he does for us. It's our blessed hope. That's where we've been in four short weeks or four very long sermons, depending on how you look at it. Today, I want to start setting the stage to give an overview of the events that will occur according to Scripture. I want to explain a few things first, and we're going to keep repeating this throughout the entire series. 
The events of end times are very clear in Scripture. The events. We seem to all agree on the events. God wanted to make sure that we'd recognize the signs and we'd know in advance what's going to happen. In fact, almost all reputable scholars of various denominations agree on the events of end times, what will happen. Most credible uh, scholars acknowledge that the Bible is clear about things like the reunification of the Roman Empire, the nation of Israel, the rise of the Antichrist, the two million man, billion man army from the east, the gathering of the world for uh, battle at Armageddon, the seven years of tribulation. These are all events, future events that will happen exactly as the Bible says. And almost all scholars and believers are in total agreement with the scriptures on this. Real events in the future of human history. The differences of opinion have to do with the timing, the order, the specifics of which nation, which leaders, what day, which, and who's the Antichrist. And it's really important to understand, particularly when we discuss end times with those who are not believers. Many in the church debate, argue, and even divide based on the timing of these events. Will the rapture be before tribulation, in the middle of tribulation, or after tribulation? Outsiders see us debating these, but they don't understand that what we're debating is not that the events are going to happen. We're debating the order and timing of those events. All they see is that people who don't know Jesus are looking at us going, you guys are arguing about everything. Well, why do I want to be in a place where everybody's arguing all the time? It's easy to read in times and get lost in the timing, the specific predictions, and miss the more important point. These prophecies by God will occur in our future and they will occur exactly as God says they will. We may not know all the details, but we know enough to get ourselves ready. Right now, we are being called to battle stations. As a believer, there's a war going on. And our job is to hold firm to what we know to be our call and our place in this world at this time. God has called you and me to be on this planet right now because we are his representatives in a world spiraling towards the end. And there are people to save. That's our job. That's the most important thing you and I do when we walk out of this building. And Satan is going to start attacking. He's going to try to pick people off. He's going to quit looking at what's happening. And we're going to look around and go, wow, am I committed or am I not? Nothing like the end times to bring your faith into focus. So I want to start setting the stage for the weeks ahead. To present you with what I believe is the best scripturally supported outline of the events to come. They might not be in exactly the right order, but we've got to start somewhere, right? The outline that I believe best aligns with Scripture is a futurist, premillennial, pre-tribulation rapture perspective. All right, let's pray. No, um, I've already got three labels, and we can divide on them if you want. Don't worry, we're not going to go into all those options and all that. We're going to eventually, we'll explain it. I'm a futurist, meaning I believe the events of end times are yet to come. People who are not believe the end times have already happened. Okay, I believe the events of end times are yet to come. I'm pre-millennial. I believe that we're not currently living in the millennial kingdom. And I not only believe in the rapture of the church, but I believe it'll happen before the tribulation. 
I have this view because to me it seems to align best with Scripture and where the world is today. Most importantly, after studying Scripture, I have a strong sense of internal peace about this view that I don't get from any other view. I'm not here to debate all the views. None of us are here to debate all the views. I'm more concerned that we recognize the events and learn that what God has promised rather than focusing on getting every prediction exactly correct. As we apply ourselves to the study of end times, we need to have the right perspective. We need to be less concerned about trying to predict who the Antichrist is and more concerned about the people he's deceiving. We need to be less concerned about which day Jesus will return, be more concerned about the fact that he will return and make sure we're prepared for him. I can promise you Jesus is going to return in the next hundred years. Now you're going, oh crud, there he went. Here's why. You're either going to get raptured or you're going to die. Either way, you're going to be facing Jesus in less than 100 years, and you and I need to be prepared. Simple. Jesus may not come back for 2,000. It doesn't matter. For you and I, it's within the next 100 years, and for some of us, probably the next 40, 50, or 10. Or maybe today's it. Either way, the message is get ready. Make sure you're ready to stand with your Savior. We need to be less concerned about the timing of the rapture and more concerned about living in the reality that it could be at any minute. There's a world of people that need to know. I've watched Christians attack each other, get wrapped around the axle about their certainty of minute details of the future, arrogantly put down those who have a different perspective. I know, I get the emails. The worst part of doing a study on Revelation end times is that you get emails from people who are certain about what's going to happen. And if you're not exactly what they say or what they believe, then you shouldn't be teaching this at all. I'm the first to admit that the future is God's prerogative, not mine. The events are clear. The timing is not. Get comfortable with that. So let's not waste time on petty things and focus about, let's just focus on the return of Jesus to the world because the world right now is being groomed for the Antichrist. Let's acknowledge that we're on a need-to-know basis. Let's focus on the events God has revealed to us, and let's try to put them in logical order and leave the details to the one who knows. I honestly don't think we'll be disappointed. If we get raptured tonight and we had a post-tribulation rapture view, See, I don't think if we think, okay, well, we can't get raptured until after the tribulation, and then tonight we get raptured, I don't think we're going to be complaining. Once Jesus becomes part of our moment-to-moment -moment reality at his return, I don't think any of us are going to care about who the Antichrist is, or as long as Jesus destroys him, it doesn't matter. So we move forward recognizing that there are many views, but there's only one view that's God's. And regardless of the order and timing, we're just super thrilled to be on his team. And we'll gladly give up our right to be right about the details. So you can see that with all the various scriptures, we need to put together some framework so we can better understand the events. We need a flow diagram or an outline of some. We need a common set of terms. And I'm going to basically share with you what I believe is the prophetic timeline. According to prophecies in Daniel, 
We are living in a time called the church age. We talked about this during our series on the feasts, how we're living during the Gentile age. It's a time that is unspecified where God for an amount of time is holding back his judgment. He's turned from trying to reach the Jewish people and he's focusing on Gentiles. And there will be a day when that ends, okay? When the Jewish people rejected Jesus, the message was given to the Gentiles for a time. The church age began at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, and it'll end when the Holy Spirit leaves during the rapture. Do you remember Jesus on his way to Jerusalem? That last week he stopped at the Mount of Olives to look over the city and lament their rejection of him. Here's what he said, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus' heart is breaking. He came for his own people and his own people rejected him. It's as if that moment God pushed the pause button on his covenant with the Jewish people. They would reject and crucify Jesus and they would usher in the Gentile era era that was promised in Daniel. We've been living in that, but one day God will release the pause button and Jesus will once again stand on the Mount of Olives, but this time the Jewish people will recognize him as Messiah. We talked about how during the study of the Jewish feast that we're living the prophetic summer between the spring and fall feasts. There are three, or, um, there are fall feasts yet to occur. The next one's the Feast of Trumpets, the trumpet blows. The one that comes unexpectedly, the one you can't predict, the one you don't know when it will happen. And at that moment, the Gentile period will end. The next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. We're going to spend three weeks on this because it's so important to understand. The rapture is when all believers who are believers in Jesus, who are alive on earth, suddenly in the blink of an eye, are snatched up to heaven to meet Jesus in the clouds. In that moment, deceased church age believers will be bodily resurrected and rejoined with their perfected spirit. So we'll get to all that. Don't worry. Three weeks on the rapture. The rapture will shock the world and initiate end times. The world will try to make sense of the disappearance of millions of people, but the impact will be catastrophic. The rapture will be interesting in many ways. It's possible that many people, like some evangelists, church leaders and others, won't be raptured because they truly don't know Christ. They, along with humanists, will likely claim that the rapture was God's judgment on intolerant fake Christians who misrepresented him. When you think about it, it's a pretty easy sell. Humanists don't believe in supernatural things of God. They don't believe in God. Christians are the ones who say they say are intolerant, judgmental, and unwavering. Now they're gone, and we can have a universal church of universalism. Remember from the prior weeks that the rapture has no signs that precede it. It is a signless event. Everything that has to happen before the rapture has happened. All the signs that Jesus speaks about related to his second coming, not his meeting of us in the clouds at the rapture. We're going to talk about that at some point. 
Prophet Daniel tells us that in end times, there will be a restoration of the original Roman Empire. We're watching it play out on the news every day. As a result of the rapture, a group of 10 leaders will form a reunited Roman Empire to restore order and some sense of normalcy. So what I believe will happen is the church will be raptured, the world will be in total disarray, and the Roman Empire will seize the vacuum that the U.S. used to fill, uh, because many Christians are here, and there will be a, a, a rebirth of the Roman Empire. Daniel 7, 23. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, the fourth kingdom, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. It'll devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. This is not a kind, gentle government taking over. As for ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise. The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on earth. It fits well with the Roman Empire of ancient history. It'll devour the whole civilized earth. It'll dominate it completely. A leader from those nations will rise quietly and swiftly. He'll be very persuasive. He'll rise out of insignificant and obscurity. Someone the world didn't know, but everybody seems to like. See, the Antichrist is not going to present himself as demonic. People are going to like him. It's going to be very popular. I've had people tell me, well, the Antichrist is so-and-so or so-and-so. No, there's too many people. Look for the person everybody likes. That's when you get nervous. We're going to see in Revelation 6 that he mimics Jesus. That's why he's called the Antichrist, the antithesis of Christ. He will present himself much like Christ. He'll pretend to be Christ-like. Everybody's going to like him. If you're trying to figure out who is the Antichrist, don't look for the ones that's splitting everybody. Look for the one everybody likes. Revelation 6, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, a warrior, and a crown was given to him, one he didn't earn, and he came out conquering and to conquer. You see, everything the Antichrist does mimics Jesus. In Revelation uh, 19, we're going to see Jesus arriving on a white horse with the word of truth in his mouth, not a bow, bringing judgment, not conquering. This is a satanic dictator who's going to try to mimic Jesus. But the results of his rule show that this is not the reign of Jesus. He'll rule over men as a false messiah. He'll lead men in rebellion against God in the pattern of Nimrod, the first predecessor to the one that's called the Antichrist. We talked about him in the second week of this series. So there'll be ten kings in a reborn Rome. The Antichrist is not one of those ten. It appears they will bring him in and make him their leader. He'll be a worldwide person that everybody likes so much that even the leaders are willing to let him lead. Daniel 7.24, as for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High. He shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for times time and a half time, three and a half years. Somehow the Antichrist will remove three of those ten leaders. 
most likely he'll kill them. Either way, he'll put down three kings and he'll wear out the saints of the Most High. Who are the saints of the Most High? Us. You see, some, in some ways, I think it's easier to actually die for Christ in a split second than it is to be under constant harassment and strain for the rest of your life as a Christian. The Antichrist will make life for believers horrible. He will harass them so continually that, that life becomes a miserable existence, but it'll only last for three and a half years. At that time, the Antichrist will rise up in confusion. He'll sign a peace treatment between the ten nations of the Roman Empire and Israel. A peace agreement in the Middle East. When that agreement is signed, you will know who the Antichrist is. The Antichrist will form an agreement between the Roman Empire and Israel. It'll be a peace agreement. The Jewish people who've been waiting for a Messiah to bring peace to the Middle East will believe they found their Messiah. You can imagine how thrilled the Islamic world's going to be with a reborn Roman Empire. That signs a peace agreement with Israel. That's going to go over really well. This will trigger a war. The war that the Bible calls the Gog and Magog War. Russia, along with a massive Islamic coalition, will take advantage of the confusion after the rapture, the weakened rest, and the passivity of the newly revealed Antichrist, because he will come on a platform of being passive, of, of basically no more war. He'll launch a full assault on the nation of Israel, though. The Bible refers to this as the Battle of Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38.3. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face towards Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshesh, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshesh, and Tubal. I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws. I will bring you out and all your armies, horses and horsemen, all of them splendidly attired, a great company with buckler and shield, all of them wielding swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and put with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all its troops, Beth to Garma, and from the parts of the north with all its troops, many people with you. Okay, notice many people with you. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Gog is a person, not a place. It's Gog of the land of Magog, the leader of Gog. The leader of Magog is named Gog. Magog, according to the historian Josephus, is the land of the Soviet Union. Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, and most likely Afghanistan. Rosh is Russia, the remote parts, particularly in the north. Meshech and Tubal are Lebanon and Turkey. Persia is modern-day Iran. Kush is Ethiopia. Put is Libya, and Gomer is central Turkey. There's going to be a war. I know this is, there's going to be a war. This is what this is sort of saying right now. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face towards Putin of the land of Russia. The prince of northern Russia, Lebanon, Turkey, and prophesy against him saying, This says the Lord. I'm holding this against you, O Putin, prince of Russia, Lebanon, and Turkey. I will turn you about and put hooks in your jaw. I'll bring you out with all your army, horses, horsemen, all of them splendidly attired, a great company with buckler and shield, all of them wielding swords. 
Iran, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, and all with shields and helmets. Central Turkey with all its troops. Outer Turkey from the remote parts of the north with all its troops. Many people with you. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see that all these countries are aligning in exactly this way against Israel. Ezekiel 38, 14, Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people in Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place, okay, so dwelling securely, a peacetime in the Middle East. You think you found your Messiah. There's peace in the Middle East. A treaty has been signed. My people in Israel are dwelling securely. You will come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding horses, a great host, a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days, I will bring you against my land and the nations may know me when through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before your eyes. God's like, I still got this. The whole world is going to turn on Israel. I got this. This has to happen so I can vindicate my holiness. Learned that last week. Ezekiel 38, 18. But on that day, the day that Gog shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, my wrath will be roused in my anger. For in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath, I declare on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. And the mountains shall be thrown down and the cliffs shall fall and every wall will tumble to the ground. I will summon a sword against Gog on all my mountains, declares the Lord. Every man's sword will be against his brother. With pestilence and bloodshed, I will enter into judgment with him. Where does God's wrath come? His judgment. Why? Because of his holiness. And I will rain upon him and his hordes, many people who are with him, torrential rain and hailstones, fire and sulfur. That should bring memories of what happened earlier in the Bible in Genesis when Sodom was destroyed. So I will show my greatness and note this, because we talked about this last week. In this process, I'm going to show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. They will know that I'm the Lord. Did you notice the countries that are missing from all this? There's no mention of Israel's immediate neighbors, Egypt, Syria, Jordan, or Iraq. Maybe they're part of the peace treaty on Israel's side. Perhaps they're part of the many peoples with you I told you we'd talk about later. We don't know. Regardless, it's clear that Russia is going to have at least five allies. Turkey, Iran, Libya, Sudan, and the Central Asian nations of the former Soviet Union. Can you imagine how hopeless it's going to look for Israel? Also notice that there's no army from the west, an eagle coming in to rescue them. Interestingly, they have a peace treaty, but even the Roman Empire doesn't come to help them. And they're the ones that have the treaty. All these nations are devoted to the destruction of little bitty Israel. And you think, well, that's nuts, but look at it, it's happening. Although there's a peace treaty, they don't seem to be allies with the Roman Empire because when they're attacked, Rome does nothing. 
No one will come to the aid of Israel and it will seem to be impossible for them. Yet God will supernaturally protect Israel by wiping out the armies of Russia and their Islamic coalition in his holiness, in his wrath, in his judgment. The battle, it seems, will launch the Antichrist into unchallenged world power. The destruction of Russia and most of the Islamic nations will have a huge power vacuum in the world and the Antichrist will be positioned to dominate. He'll likely take credit for the destruction of Russia and the Islamic partners. He'll probably claim that God has removed the intolerant Christians and has now ushered in their punishment on the other religion of intolerance, which is Muslim. He may even claim to have some powerful weapon that he controls that protected Israel. Either way, you can guarantee he's going to try to mimic himself as God. He's going to try to seize the moment and present himself as the savior to the world. It is the collapse of Russia and this global empire that will make this possible. In the first three and a half years, things will seem to calm down for the Jewish nation. They'll be free of the Islamic issue. They'll be able to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. They will consider themselves enormously blessed by the Antichrist and believe he's their Messiah. Many Jewish people and Gentiles will see the promised Antichrist as the promised Messiah because he brings peace to the world. He removes intolerance, including anti-Semitism, and he rebuilds the Jewish temple and allows sacrifices once again. There will be 144,000 Jewish witnesses who are sealed and protected by God to make sure that the good news is protected. They'll be supported and perhaps led by two witnesses of the temple during the first half of the tribulation. The Antichrist will get busy. He'll begin to establish a one world government and one world economy and religion aided by his henchman, the false prophet. There will be one like John the Baptist who is pointing to the Antichrist religiously. In other words, somebody with religious authority. Somebody maybe really popular with religious authority in Rome. Just saying. Or not saying, but saying. He will point the religious people to the Antichrist from a place in Rome. The Antichrist will declare himself as Messiah and God. He'll seem to get a head wound, which he will miraculously get over and survive. He will claim that he's resurrected from the dead, that they can't kill him because he's God. To make that point even stronger, he'll desecrate the temple in Jerusalem by setting himself up in the Holy of Holies and demanding universal worship of him. This is called the abomination of desolation. He will demand that every person take the mark of the beast, which is 666. And in that moment, it's that moment that Jesus warned about in the Olivet Discourse when he was talking on the Mount of Olives. The two witnesses will be leaders in the world talking against the Antichrist, and he will appear to kill them. The Bible says they will lay dead in public for days. And miraculously, God will bring them back to life in a manner the whole world will see at one time. Imagine that 2,000 years ago. Wait a minute. These two people are going to be 
talking, prophesying, speaking God's word, calling out the Antichrist publicly. And then one day, the Antichrist is going to kill them. And they're going to lay probably in the Temple Mount for days, dead. And then they're going to rise up and come back to life, and the whole world will be able to see them at once. That was impossible 2,000 years ago. Today, it's like, oh, okay, it'll be on YouTube, it'll be wherever. Through the seven years of tribulation, the seals and bold judgments of Christ are being poured out on the world. And we'll get to that when we talk about Revelation. Each one is trying to get people to turn back to Jesus, just like the plagues. Do you believe I'm God yet? No? Okay. Well, let me control this. Do you, do you believe I'm God yet? No. Okay, okay, well, here comes the next one. Are you believing yet? No. By the time people fully reject Christ, God will have given them bowl after bowl of judgment, a bowl, a little bit, to take, to see if it turns them back. By the time they get to the end, they will be so anti-God that they've rejected everything God's tried to do to save them. Two great events bring the tribulation to a close. The war of Armageddon and the second coming of Jesus. Okay, now you got to make sure when you're studying scripture, you remember there are two different wars. Gog and Magog, and in the end, there's going to be a war of Armageddon. But the second coming of Christ is where I want to focus. Jesus literally, physically returns to earth on the Mount of Olives. If you want to wait for Jesus' return, go sit on the Mount of Olives. That's where he's going. Zechariah 14.4, on that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem to the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that half of the Mount of Olives will move northward and half will move southward. Jesus comes back with a huge earthquake. The Seven Arches Hotel now sits on the Mount of Olives. A while back, they planned to expand the hotel. But the geographic, geological findings of the fault line underneath them kept them from getting a permit to build. They could have just asked Ezekiel. He would have told them. <laughs> and wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, but there will be many fish. For this water goes there, and the waters of the sea may become fresh, so that everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from En Gedi to Englam, and there will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the Great Sea. All right, well, this is En Gedi. Beautiful, right? You can see fishermen there on the shore, right, throwing their nets. It's wonderful. Ezekiel says there'll be fishermen all over that place at the end times. Every fish from the Sea of the Mediterranean will be there. Okay, there's only one problem. That water right there, that's the Dead Sea. There's no fish there. It's dead, thus Dead Sea. How are people gonna fish at En Gedi on the Dead Sea? Huh, well, when Jesus returns and steps on the Mount of Olives, it'll cause an earthquake along the fault line. Wanna guess where the fault line goes? From up around Tel Aviv, the top, down through Jerusalem, splits through the Mount of Olives, 
goes down about 500 feet below sea level, and guess where it ends? At the no longer dead sea of Engedi. Remarkable, right? How can anybody make this stuff up? How can anyone doubt these are the very words of God? Everything aligns all the time. So when Jesus returns, it's not going to be subtle. Everybody's going to know he's here. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness. Or go out, if they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. My favorite scripture, or one of them. All right. Thank you, Natalie. Um, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. You thought you were scared at the earthquake. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Jesus' second coming will be with an army of believers. That's us. The angels will gather up the tribulation saints who came to believe in Jesus after the rapture. We'll talk about all this later. And Jesus will bring them to join us. The Antichrist will lead his armies of the world against Israel with genocidal intent. Jesus will return to earth accompanied by the armies of heaven. The armies will not fight, by the way. Jesus will decimate them speaking his word. Daniel 7, but the court shall sit in judgment. This is what they do with the Antichrist after Jesus has destroyed him. And his dominion will be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. That's us. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Jesus will seize the Antichrist and the false prophet, the one from Rome we talked about, and cast them into the lake of fire. During the second coming, the Old Testament saints and believers who died during the tribulation will be resurrected. Again, we'll get to that. At the end of the tribulation period, there's what's called the 1,000 year reign of Christ, called the millennial era. During those thousand years, Christ will reign in peace and prosperity who fulfill God's original plan for creation. Believers who survive the tribulation, both Jews and Gentiles, will enter the messianic kingdom in their natural human bodies and will have children and populate the kingdom. Those on earth when Christ returns who do not trust in him will be cast into hell. Meanwhile, Satan and his minions will be bound in the abyss. At the end of the millennium, Satan will release for a brief period of time to lead a final rebellion against Christ We'll talk about that, trust me. And then he'll be defeated and cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. Then there'll be a final judgment. Christ will sit on the great white throne and all unbelievers from any age will be resurrected and assembled before him to be judged. This is called the final resurrection. Those will be judged according to their deeds and since they rejected Jesus as Messiah, their names will not be in the book of life 
and they will be co-signed to the lake of fire forever. That leads us to the eternal state. The final state of God's prophetic program will be ushered in with the destruction of the present earth and heaven and everything you've ever seen. And there'll be a creation of a new heaven and a new earth. That's why I tell believers all the time, everything you've seen, Mars, Jupiter, as wonderful it is, it's going away. It's temporary. The heavenly city Jerusalem will come down from heaven and sit on a new earth as the capital city of a new universe. It'll be the size of a continent, a 1,500-mile cube. So that's the overview. Should be interesting, right? We're seeing signs of it everywhere. Turkey, which had always been a Western ally, always aligned with NATO, is going very Islamic, moving far away from the U.S. into Russia and into other places. The large migration of those from Syria and other desert areas into Europe will play a role in keeping the 10 countries from getting involved in a war between Islam and Israel. Why will the Roman Empire not get involved in the war? Because they'll be 30, 40, 50% Muslim by then. We studied the iron and clay not mixing. Remember we talked about how that kingdom was going to be unstable. It's not a coincidence that Russia has strong alliances with Iran and most Muslim nations and that forces in Syria are now aligned against the West. They're clearly trying to nuclearize all these nations. Some have suggested that a war between Greece and the West and Iran and Iraq is imminent. I think it's pretty clear to see that we're headed towards something. This move that Putin has made recently is just a practice run. See how the world will respond. The reemergence of Russia, think about this. Just 25 years ago, I never thought we'd see Russia again. After the fall of Russia, it seemed they'd fallen from the world stage of influence. They were chopped up into a whole bunch of new nations I can't even pronounce. But over the last 20 years, they've started to coalesce into a nation. They're trying to find world power again. Where are they going? They're going to Islam. They're going to the countries of Islam to unite that power. Why? Because God said so in the Bible. In addition, Russia is aligning with some very strong Muslim nations like Syria. Jewish people are getting ready. They're preparing for the third temple. They believe that the new Messiah is going to bring in the new temple and restore the Jewish faith back to the way it was with sacrifices and bring in world peace. Well, here comes the Antichrist, giving them exactly what they're hoping for. Peace, a new temple, just not God. So they're starting to stockpile resources, ornaments, animals for sacrifice. They're attempting to identify priests and others through the time through the genealogy and DNA sequencing to find out who the priests are so they can then operate a temple in Jerusalem. A, lead, a group of leading Israeli rabbis about 10 years, well, seven years ago, went to Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. And they said, there's a modern effort to revive the ancient Jewish religious court Here's what the Israeli National News said. The Sanhedrin sent letters to both Trump and Putin 
urging them to work together to fulfill a project that will benefit all mankind, the rebuilding of the Holy Temple atop Jerusalem's hotly contested Temple Mount. Both leaders have expressed support for Jewish claims to Jerusalem, though Trump has been more vocal. At any rate, Israel is poised to rebuild the temple, they say. Another group, the Temple Institute, has been actively pushing to obtain temple elements, recreating the holy altar, drawing up original architectural plans, and begin raising sacred red heifers that are going to be needed for ceremonial purposes in Israel. Sign signs, everywhere a sign. You'd have to be blind to not see what's going on. The problem is most people in our world are spiritually blind. They don't see what's going on. We look at the world and we go, wow, I can tell you what's going to happen tomorrow because I'm watching it happen now. Everything that Jesus said about the first coming has occurred, exactly as he said. So as we head towards the end times, as we ourselves begin to look at this, the question should be, so what? So what? We're good. Jesus is going to be okay. We're going to be okay. We're in the army. We win. Woohoo! Let's argue about which is a premillennial post. We just don't. The problem is we see the end coming. Everybody, many, hundreds, thousands of people, you and I know, are headed off a cliff that we know is coming. The problem is we don't live like we know it. We always think there'll be another day. Another time. We can wait. It's okay. So we just sit back knowing the end is coming. Knowing we've been given a huge responsibility to share the gospel. We should be screaming at people. Here's what's coming. Please. We should be screaming at them in love. But nonetheless, we should be distraught. The rapture could happen tonight. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. But the events of the world are going to play out. We as believers have a responsibility. We have a responsibility on two levels. One, we have a responsibility to make sure we share the good news of the gospel. Second is, we have a responsibility to make sure that we ourselves are in the position to be best prepared for the end times. Because the world is headed towards a place where we are going to be attacked. We are going to be challenged. We are going to be threatened. We as a nation, as a nation of Christians, need to be ready for the service at which we've been called. If you look in the U.S., it's becoming very easy to be a cultural Christian. To just kind of go to church, hang out. We're in a battle. The reason I did this series again is because I believe that America's people, particularly us, need to wake up and know what we're up against. We've got to know this is the time for commitment. This is the time for us to step forward and say, I'm all in. It's the time for us to look at the family members that we have not talked to or keep putting off talking to and say, I'm all in. It's the time to look at each other and say, are you all in? We've got to go. We've got work to do. The end is coming. I don't think anybody can look at this book with the Holy Spirit and not see that the end is here. Now, it could be a while. I don't know. 
But I know it's coming and I know it'll play out exactly like God says it will. So the reason we do this series, the reason we move into this is to be ready. And what bothers me sometimes is that we think it's all about knowing or figuring out what's going to happen. That is so not the point here. The point here is it's going to happen. We need to be at our battle stations. We need to be fully committed. We need to be prepared for the attack of the evil one who will try to distract us. And we need to stay laser focused on what we know to be true because this message is crystal clear to us because it's been handed to us and we've been given the Holy Spirit to be able to interpret it. As soon as we are raptured, the Holy Spirit will not be here present in believers anymore and the opposition to the Antichrist will be gone. We have an incredible responsibility. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you told us in advance what to expect. You told us in advance what we should do. We say we're your followers, so we commit to that. God, we know so many people who have put up fences, barbed wire, bunkers, whatever, to keep the word of God away from them. But God, I believe as the times start heating up, people are going to be more open. The resistance will go up, but so will the fear. And we have an opportunity because we know the truth. We need to be ready to share the word in season and out of season. And the word includes your words about our future. And it's out of season. Sharing your truth will cost us something. Always does. But in the end, it's worth it. So God, we love you. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that you wanted us to see the signs. You wanted us to know. Not so we could just have knowledge, but so we could apply ourselves to the most important thing as we see the end coming. We love you. We thank you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.